You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled The Word, from the series Growing Stronger. For more info, visit creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Father, this is your word, and it brings us great security and challenges in so many areas. I pray that you'd do that today, and I thank you, Lord, for this, this book. It comes to encourage, challenge, grow us, and to move us forward, and I pray that those things would happen today in your name. Amen. If you could give a sure, if I could give you a surefire catalyst to spark ongoing spiritual growth, something that was for sure to draw you closer to Christ and deeper in your walk with Jesus to make you a stronger Christ follower, would you do it? Good. Appreciate that. Overwhelming. Part of the vision of Creekside is to make us all fully devoted followers of Jesus. And people oftentimes believe and they think that there's like one little key If I say this prayer, do this thing, it'll make all the difference. I want to give you one of those things that I believe is the key. Thousands of churches have taken this thing called a reveal survey. I've read the book on it. They've actually done uh, data and research. Willow Creek Church, which is a church that we have some connections with and that I have learned so much from, they, they did this survey called Reveal, and what they did is thousands of churches, hundreds of thousands of people, they surveyed. And the number one catalyst for spiritual growth across the spiritual life continuum was simply this. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually. It doesn't matter if you're a novice, whether you're kicking the tires of faith for the first time, or you're a high-mileage veteran, been around forever Christ follower. The catalyst... The most powerful thing to help a person grow spiritually is to personally, personally engage the Bible. Not first and foremost a video or the radio or even Sunday morning, but first and foremost the catalyst is that a person engages the Scriptures. One of my goals for the coming season is to grow personally in the Word, to become a better preacher, but also to do this as a church that we would grow together, that we would come to this place where we would learn it, love it, and we would live this book. So today in our Growing Strong series, I want to look at how to grow stronger in the power of the Word and how powerful the Word is. Because here's what happens when you begin to learn it, love it, and live it. You know what happens? Is you'll change. And ultimately, you'll end up growing. So that's what we're going to do. I think that for twice a month, for at least the rest of this year, I'm going to give you a scripture to memorize. I want you to memorize it. Then we're going to come the following Sunday, we're going to see if you memorized it. So you have to sit at your tables, and I'm going to say, close your Bibles, or whatever, and I'm going to say, okay, now, on the count of three, we're going to say it together, and I'm going to say, look at the person next to you and see if they know it. (laughs) We're going to have a test. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But no, here, here, I am going to do this scripture memorization. How many of you are, how many of you struggle with memorizing things? 
Yeah, a lot of people do. I, I can't remember anybody's name. I mean, you know, we, we, we forget. But our memory is a muscle, and it only gets stronger as we exercise it. So what I want to do is to challenge us to grow in increments. I always said, I've told you this a number of times, the one regret I have in raising my kids as I look back, I wish I would have had them memorize Scripture. And there's a couple of reasons that I won't enumerate on that I already have before why I didn't make that a big focus. But what, what the reason I, I say that is because I believe it's the scriptures that I memorized from the time I was in first grade until second grade that kind of kept me tethered to God even when he was nowhere around in my life situation or setting. And I can still quote those scriptures today. So as a church, I want us to grow in the word. And one way, we're going to talk about these ways next week. One of the ways is through scripture memorization. We're going to begin to enlarge our thinking on this. So here's the first one. Write this one down. It's Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119 really is almost like this treatise on the scriptures, on the Bible. The power of it, the goodness, the grandeur, the greatness of it. So we're going to take this one little one. We're going to start... We're going to start small. And here's what, it, here's what the scripture is. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So next week we're going to check on this. I'm not really going to have you check the person next to you. Don't worry. Don't not come because you didn't memorize it. You know, like school. Oh, I think I got a stomachache, you know. So still come. But uh, here, but thy word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It's a lamp for where I'm going today. I can read the word for today, but I can also read it for down the road, for down the future. It's not only illuminate my present, but it helps to illuminate and establish my future. So we're going to do that in each week in the program. Every other week, I'm going to have a scripture, a memorization scripture. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I got I to gotta get through this. So I'm going to I'm going to skip a lot of the introduction I did first service. And uh, let's go right to uh, chapter 3, verse 10, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And I want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. I just, I just like I told you last week, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't this, I just love the smell of a Bible. I got a new one. Pages are still sticking together. So, But I love the feel of a Bible. And if you use your phone, great. That's Bible enough for me. But bring something so we can read together. Timothy is just, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus, one of the great churches in there, in, in the New Testament. And he says, he's talked about all these perilous times, these bad times, these end times that are going to come, and we're already in the midst of them, I believe. But if you come down to verse 10, he says this, but you have followed my teachings, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. He really starts off those first verses by saying everybody's selfish, everybody's self-centered, everybody's causing problems, everybody is a lover of self, they want stuff, they're conceited, they'd rather have pleasure than lovers of God. And he's writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, but you know me, you've seen my life, you've seen me grow, you've heard me teach, you've seen my family, you can trust what I'm saying. And he says, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. Count on it. It's going to happen. But here's the hope. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, notice what he says, continue in what you have learned firmly and firmly believe, knowing those from whom you learned, and that from childhood, 
See what I'm saying? Maybe get your kids to memorize these scriptures with you. And from childhood, you've known the sacred scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. Righteousness really has to do with right living before God and man. That's what righteous is. Why is that? So that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Notice here that it says all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. We consider the Scripture here to be God's inspired Word. Now, the Bible itself uses the phrase Word of God or the Word to refer at least six different things or ways that is stated as God's Word or the Word of God. He says in some places there's the utterances of God. The law is the Word of God. The prophets spoke the Word of God. The Scripture is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, is the Word of God. Hebrews 1 says it this way, that at many times and in many ways, God spoke. So all of these, all of these utterances from God, the law, the prophets, the Bible, Jesus, the gospels, they're all part of the Word of God. And because of these utterances of all of these different things that I just mentioned, they have now been compiled in this book, divinely inspired by God, where God come upon man and he begin to write in his own way, in his own language, these inspired, God-breathed thoughts. And so now we have the power of this word. These are the records of God speaking in all of these ways, and they're inspired. So here's the big idea I want you to see is that God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. He speaks and it happens. In studying Genesis a while back, we saw where God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then you go through the seven days. All of creation is simply the result of God's word. He is the omnipotent creator who creates all. He speaks and it happens. God's word, God's word is creative. He speaks it, it takes place. That's what Hebrews 1 says. That everything, our whole world is literally shaped and formed and held together by the power of his spoken word. Now, some of us understand that in the workplace, this kind of authority on human level, don't we? How many of you work for where the boss's word is law and final? I mean, the boss speaks and it happens. Anybody here like, like that? Like, if he says coffee, what happens? You don't get coffee. Well, you better change where you, he doesn't get coffee. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's how we roll at Creekside. And I wish it was only true. I like this. Thank you. But we see God's authority is ultimate. God's authority when he speaks is complete. And our Bible reading plan, you've been reading, if you've been going through it, you've been going through the Gospel of Mark in the last week. And what you're seeing is this, that whatever Jesus does, wherever he speaks, whoever he touches, wherever there's a healing, Jesus is usually speaking and he's saying something. And what happens? It happens just like Genesis chapter 1. Why? Because Jesus is the one who speaks the creation into existence and he does things today. 
The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, verses 10 and 11, he said this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, So it is with my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. I sent it for. Why? Because it's powerful. It will accomplish what he wants. It will achieve the purposes for what he's saying. A couple years ago, I was jogging and I was running by these hills just down the street from my house on this course that I run. And, and it was so brown. It's probably one of the things I really don't like about California is, you know, by about June, everything is just so brown, and then it gets dusty, and I'm running, and I'm thinking, this is not attractive. <coughs> and, uh, and I'm going, and then, you know, five or six months later, I'm, walking, I'm, I'm running by the same place, and what's happening? It's beautiful. It's green. There's flowers blossoming. What was the difference? It's because it had been raining. See, the word in the scriptures is often the, 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 that talks about the water, the water of the word. It's a metaphor because it, what does it do? It brings refreshing. And whenever the word falls upon us, friends, whenever the word washes over us, suddenly all kinds of hidden potential emerges. And there can be these powerful things that begin to happen and change. That's why we're challenging you now. That's why we often talk about the power of the word and that you allow it, as Ephesians 5 says, to wash over you because it has this cleansing and changing and blossoming element to it that comes to your life when you take it in. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So Paul's writing to this church of Thessalonica, and he says, listen, you, you heard it, but then you received it, and then you allowed it to work in you. You literally accepted it as the work of God, and it began to work in you. Uh, the, the, the word work there is, in, in the Greek, it's energeo, and it's where we get the word energy from it. And the idea is that we would be at work, to, to, that it would have its full operation, that it would be active and effective in and through our life. So when you receive God's word, there begins to be this spiritual dynamic and this spiritual energy that can come alive in your life day by day as you're taking it in so that you can be fully aware of and move in the purposes that God has for you. And we're going to talk about some of these ways next week that we receive the word so that that energy, that energeo can begin to happen. See, why is it so many people don't have spiritual power? They lack spiritual energy. It's because they're not involved in taking in and accepting that which produces it, which Paul says it's this book. So what does it do? Well, first of all, God's word saves us. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. It first came to the Jewish people, but then Gentiles is anybody outside of the Jewish group, which includes you and me. He says the beginning of becoming a, Christ, a Christian comes by this word of God. One hears and believes the gospel, which is God's power to save. 1 Peter 1.23 says this, for you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God, 
What do we hear? We hear the gospel, which is simply the good news of Jesus Christ. Never forget, loved ones, when somebody says the gospel, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came, a sinless man, he died for our sins, he was nailed on the cross, and he rose again on the third day to seal the deal to prove not only was he God, but that he could redeem us, forgive our sins, and give us a hope of eternity. That is the good news. And it's those words that end up, it's that thought, it's that process that Jesus went through that saves us. Great story of how Barry McGuire became a Christian. How many know who Barry McGuire is? He's the guy, yeah, not many of us, that's good. That probably means we're a younger congregation. Well, Barry McGuire, back in 1965, he covered a, a song called Eve of Destruction. And he recorded it. It actually became a number one bestseller. It knocked the Beatles' help off number one of the top charts. And then Barry Maguire became very famous for that, for, for recording that song, kind of a, a folk song, but the focus was really a, a rebellion and so, uh, a revolt song. Well, one day Barry is walking down the Sunset Strip and someone asks him, are you ready for Jesus? And he just kind of blew him off and, and he kept walking and ignored him. But for whatever reason, at that time in his life, mid to late 60s, he couldn't get that name Jesus out of his mind. He kept hearing it everywhere. Someone would slam a, a car door on their finger and they'd yell, Jesus Christ. And Barry wondered, why Jesus? Why not, why not Buddha? Why not Hare Krishna? And one day, he went to a friend's house and they were going to smoke some dope. And he, uh, and he saw on the coffee table there, good news for modern man. So he said, well, I'm a modern man. I think I'm going to begin to read this. So he picks it up and it was the New Testament in modern English, the good news for modern man. So he threw it down and thought, now they're even disguising the Bible for us. But it haunted him. And he got himself a Bible and he began to read it. A few weeks later, he was at a party again. And everyone was getting loaded. But he was curled up underneath the kitchen table, miserable and upset. So a friend comes and asks, he goes, what's wrong? Barry said, I am. You are. This is wrong. And his friend left him alone, and finally Barry cried out and said, God, if you're there, I want to know. And he says from that time on, every cell in his body, from his whole being, knew that Jesus loved him and cared for him, and he became a follower. And if you know anything else about Barry, Barry McGuire, some of you might, he became really a, one of the foundational people, or one of the key people in the, in the growing Christian music era back in the late 60s. I believe he traveled with a group called Love Song and uh, did, some, did a lot of Christian music. Hey, that's Barry's story. And it's kind of my story too because like Barry, I heard God's word and it started working inside of me. And we can reject it. So many people do. But I remember after about a year of just hearing the gospel and about this person, Jesus Christ, there was a time when I, when, I, when I received it, I accepted it, and there was literally this energy that came upon me, came over me, and it changed my life forever. That's your story too. It's for so many of you sitting here. See, we all come to God through the power of hearing the gospel, his word. And here's the deal. There's probably some of you sitting in here today that God's working in you. He's speaking to you. And maybe you've been kind of stiff-arming it or maybe you've been saying no to it. But hear me. He will speak to you. And here's the deal. And I don't say this in any way as some kind of threat or some kind of manipulation. I don't, I don't believe in that. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that there's going to come a time where we stand before God, every one of us. 
And ultimately, you will be accountable for what you know and what you heard. And if you want to stiff-arm God, no problem, but he'll take you back. Remember that day, February 28th, Creekside Church, and you heard? Remember that scripture about every knee shall bow, every tongue confess? We're all on this journey, loved ones. See, in the, in the, in the word of God, the gospel, the message that Jesus saves, it is not something that is only a one-time experience either. It's an ongoing thing. That's why the Bible has these three types of salvation that it talks about. It talks about the past tense where you're justified. Romans chapter 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It says it, it justified means just as though your sins had never happened. They're erased. They're, they're, they're washed away. That's a one-time happening. But then there's a second part. It's called sanctification. You'll see this word sanctified, sanctification throughout the New Testament. And it's kind of this big 50-cent theological word, but what it really means is to be set apart. And the whole process, once you're justified and you experience this relationship with God, then he says, what I want to do is I want to sanctify you. I want to set you apart. I want you to become looking more like Jesus than the rest of the world. And so every day, that's that process that we go through until finally the ultimate salvation takes place when we die. And not only have we been justified, sanctified, but now we get to be glorified. And as, as, as the writer of 1 John says, that when we see him, when we become like him, we will begin to be in this different state, this spiritual state in heaven. It was 40 years ago when I first understood to, to, to this degree that I accepted the gospel. And I realized I'm being saved every day as I read God's word and I let it work in me and change me. There's still so much work that needs to be done. I am a total work in progress. And if you talk to the people closest around me, they will say, boy, that's for sure. But God is working in me. And God should be working in you every day until he's done. Hear me, loved ones, none of us arrive and at the point that you think you do, you're probably in trouble. I love what Ruth Graham had inscribed on her tombstone. <clears throat> it says this. <coughs> Excuse me. The end of construction. Thank you for your patience. This is Reverend Billy Graham's wife. And she's the one that, if, if you remember, she was interviewed one time years ago. And... They said, have you, have you ever thought about, you know, this great evangelist, your husband, have you ever thought about divorcing him? And she said, divorce, absolutely not. Murder, yes. <laughs> and I thought, see, she understood. She's a work in progress. And see, loved ones, that's how construction takes place, by the word of God that is continually changing us and challenging us. And the next thing it does, it feeds us. How often do you eat? Two times a day? Three times? Four? Continually graze? You know, you just kind of grab stuff as you go along. How do you do that? I, I think I read somewhere where the average American is 2,600 calories a day that the average takes in. That's a lot of caloric intake. Why do you eat? Very simple. So you won't die. So you'll have energy to live. So you'll be able to do what you need to do. So you can grow, so you can stay healthy. Conversely, what is true physically is also true spiritually. You've got to eat to live and to stay healthy. How do you do that? How do you eat spiritually? It's because God feeds us on his word as we take it in. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted by the devil. Remember chapter 3, he gets baptized, and it says literally in chapter 4, 
Verse 1, that the Holy Spirit literally thrust him out into the devil. Why? Because he had to face the temptings of the enemy. He had to show us that you could live righteous, that you could win the battle over the enemy of your soul. And so while he's out there, what happens? Satan comes and he gives him four tests, four temptations. And those temptations are simply none other than shortcuts to what God had already promised Jesus. And hear me, don't forget in your life, whenever you're tempted, it will always be to take a shortcut to something God has already promised you or he's going to give you. But the enemy will always come and say, well, you know what? I can do this much quicker. And you can skip the process. But it's almost always the process that develops us and makes us able to stand where we need to stand in God. So he comes and he tempts him. What does Jesus say? It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you believe God's word is as important as your daily bread? Do we believe that? Now hear me, because when we answer that, your life will show it. Job said it this way in Job 23, 12. He said, I have treasured the words of God's mouth, his mouth, more than my daily bread. I mean, do you treasure his word like daily bread? Do you come to it and go, God, while I'm having my grits this morning, I'm going to feast on this. Do you take the time to interact with it? Are you as concerned with feeding on God's word as you are your daily caloric intake? Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. You want to add some delight to your heart? You want to add some joy to your being? Come to the word. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little up in years and I, lived, I grew up in Oregon, but I remember this jingle and this um, commercial for Wonder Bread. Have you ever seen, heard of Wonder Bread? And their, their, their byline was, it helps build strong bodies 12 ways. Anybody see that? Okay, well, yeah, I, you know, it was, Wonder Bread was so good. It was always was my favorite because it was so soft and succulent. And, but, you know, now we find out that white, white bread isn't really good for you. But hear me. Listen, God's Word, it's, it's like Wonder Bread. It will help build your body in so many different ways. It will establish spiritual sustenance and strength. Why are so many Christians weak and anemic and they lose faith in their most difficult of times? It's because they're not sustained on the faith of God's word. I want to just crowd you very quickly here. I work with a lot of pastors. I've been a pastor, so I've heard this. But, you know, probably the worst thing you can ever say to a, a, a pastor is two things. You're not feeding me. Pastor, would you just feed me? And the second thing is, we just got to go deeper. We just got to go deeper. Okay, can I, this is, where I, this is where you can hiss me or whatever. Send me an email. Do whatever you want. But here's the deal. And I, don't, and I say this because I'm, I'm, I'm saying it to me. Most of us know more truth than we traffic in. 
So here, this is, to go deeper is silly when we don't even do what we know we're supposed to do. Most of the people that want to deep, they just want to, it's kind of like the Bible talks about tickled ears. They just want to, and when, this is what I've learned too, generally, not all, but generally. When people say, Pastor, you're not feeding me, they, they've either got tired of hearing the same voice or they don't like their style. I mean, there's a few pastors that just, just can't bring the word. I, there's a few, but I, I don't think I've ever heard one. I just hear about them, but I've never heard one. I've never heard a sermon that I couldn't learn something from. Would I want to listen to that person every week? Probably not. But it's style. It's not necessarily substance. And I just want to challenge you with that. Because if you come to a pastor and you say, Pastor, you're just not feeding me. My son was at the last service. He's 30. He's coming over to, my home, to our house after, thir- after tacos with Terry. And you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to walk in, plop himself at the table and go, Dad, would you feed me? If you don't feed me, I'm not staying. Because if he did, I'd say, then don't stay. (laughs) Because I'm not going to feed you. I did that like for two years. (laughs) There's three kinds of people. And they're all here today. Number one, there's those who need to be fed babes. Number two, there's those who have learned to feed themselves, and then there's those who have learned to feed others. And I would challenge you, if you've been a Christ follower for very long, I would encourage you, I would say you should at the very least be feeding yourself now, where you can go to the scriptures each day and say, Lord, just speak to me. And maybe he won't, and maybe, and I have a lot of days where I'll read, and I just kind of go, man, it's like chewing on cardboard. But that doesn't discourage me because I know I'll come back the next day, I'll read something else, and all of a sudden, man, I'll be, oh, whoa, that's good. And I'll keep, you know what? It's like, you know, Trina, she'll make a meal two or three days in a row, and I'll go, where'd this come from? You know? I don't do that. (laughs) You crazy? (laughs) I never do that. After the first time when I was younger, it didn't work very well. So I... (laughs) I, I, I wore that meal, and, um, but, 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 but I would never do that. But, there's, but you know, I know, that, I know that maybe some of her meals aren't going to be quite as good as some, and I know I'm going to get a good one, but I keep eating. That's why we have this little bookmark in there, friends, is so that we can help you, give you a plan that we're kind of all doing the same thing together. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me. This is really, I got I to blow through this because I've said it before, but see those little boxes? Those are helps, but they aren't like have-tos. For the last year and a half, I think I told you, I read less now on this. I used to go, okay, I got all the chapters done. Check it off. What a good pastor I am, you know? Oh, I got that. What a good person I am. And that's stupid because you know what? It became more about all of the reading and all of the journaling instead of going, Jesus, give me one word for today. And that's what I want you to do. You might one day read the Mark chapter 8 tomorrow, or you might read just Numbers 30 to 32, or you might read five verses and you go, wow, that's a word for me. And if you want to stop, stop. Don't make this some kind of religious exercise. I would encourage you to do as much as you can. But don't allow it to just become a religious exercise where you're trying to get it done so that you, you, know, you can punch your spiritual clock or whatever. But hear me. 
If you've got time to eat three meals a day, if you've got time to watch TV, can I tell you something? You have time to get into God's Word. Like I tell our staff and I tell you, I don't, you know, you probably think, oh boy, a PT, he probably goes to the office at, oh, 9.30 or 10, you know, and probably kicks his feet up on his desk, has Pastor Kyle bring him a cup of coffee, and he reads his Bible for two or three hours and journals. Yeah, I wish. I don't do that because I'm too busy once I get here at 8.30. And I do my devotionals at 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning before I get here. You know why I do that? Because I know some of you would say, well, PT, you don't have to get up as early as I do. Maybe not some of you, but a lot of you. I do it at home. That's my time with God. I get here, and that's work time. So I encourage you to set some time to do that. And do this, listen. Don't, this is what happens. I get caught up on this one because I, I know people, I don't want this to be guilt. I don't want it to be, I got to, I have to. I want this to be freeing because then the word of God can begin to energize you and change you and do all these things that we're talking about today and next week. But when you read this, you know, if you miss a day, don't try and catch up unless you want to and you have time because if you get two or three days behind, what do most people do? I'm going to quit. Forget the whole year. I'll start next January 1 and then it'll be the same. So just pick it up. Pick it up. And just pick up the next day. It's like a meal. I couldn't tell you what I had two weeks ago, but I know that it helped me get to here today. And it's the same thing with the Bible, loved ones. It helps us become stronger. And it will grow us. I love this. I got this. I got to show you this little, my little friend, uh, Marin. She's like nine years old. And she comes... She, she comes and sits in service, first service, and whenever she's here, she's here every other week because of her family, and she writes me these little notes. What is God's Word? It feeds, it's powerful, it corrects, it grows, it saves, it equips. Two PT from Marin. God's Word saves us. Example, when you're sick, God makes you feel better. God's Word feeds us. Example, when you go to the store to buy bread, God made that bread. Also, God feels you by, feeds you by nourishing your soul. God's Word is powerful. Example, when you're worshiping God, He motivates you to worship more than uh, eventually anything else you do. God's Word is the Bible. I didn't say hardly any of that. <laughs> She's sitting here preaching for me, you know? Should I just say amen now? <laughs> And that's not the first time. I bet I probably got 20 of those in my office. So God's word grows us. I can imagine the spiritual dynamo she's going to be. If God's word is our spiritual food, it's God's way to bring sustenance and to make us grow. Spiritual growth is the result that comes from feeding on God's word. That's why we talk about it. Like just to be able to read a little bit. And, and, and not everybody likes to journal. I don't want to put that on anybody. But it does help to go from here to here to here. Even if it's one sentence, God said to me today, be kinder, okay? Now, just imagine you do that, say, 250 times a year. Imagine the change it can bring to your life and the dynamic of people around you. If you're not regularly feeding on God's word, loved ones, you're probably not growing in Christ, and, I, and you're probably not becoming more like Jesus, 
First Peter 2, 2 says this, like newborn babes, crave for pure spiritual milk so that, it may, so that you may grow up in regards to your salvation. What a great image. How many have a newborn baby in your home or how many have, remember having them? What happens when that baby gets angry, screams and it yells and it cries? Why? Because it's craving milk. Why? It doesn't know this yet, but there's something in its body that moves it and, 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 and physiologically demands that it gets something to eat so it can grow and be healthy. And that's what we've got to have. He says, I want you to have that same kind of craving within yourself. I love that. And that's why some of our young couples look so haggard around here. They're all having babies. And they don't get to sleep because their babies are always craving milk all the time. But that's what God says. I, that's what Peter's writing to his people. He says, I want you to have that same kind of hunger for God's word. Don't miss the connection in this verse between regular spiritual feeding and growth. I got to move on. I'm going to skip part of this here. God's word corrects us. Hey, is anybody here ever wrong? Oh, just a few of you. Good. I appreciate it. Okay, yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're ever wrong, would you just raise your hand? Okay, some of you still don't get it. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, you're wrong and you're in denial. Okay? See, I'm wrong about lots of things. I'm not exactly sure what they are. If I knew, I would change them because I would want to be right. That's probably not true. I know a lot of things. But have you ever noticed how some people's love language is being right? <laughs> I mean, it's like they, they, they just love themselves and they believe they're always right. It's really a hard person to be around. So, but, but how do we learn when we're wrong and we need to get corrected? I'll tell you, for me, I get it through God's Word. If you go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God uses His Word for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. When I read this, I can't tell you, if you looked at my journals across the shelves of my library at home, you would see where God spoke to me and said, change this, do this. Don't do that. Don't think this way. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What he's saying is when you read this Bible, it has this potential to not just hit your head, but it goes into the depths of your heart, into the recesses of your inner being, your soul, your being, and it will begin to speak to those areas. And it's probably going to tweak and challenge. Happens to me all the time. I don't like it. But it's a good thing. It's one of those feels, feels good to feel bad things. But recently, I was uh, a couple, oh, probably I don't know, two or three months ago, I got this Time magazine. <coughs> Excuse me. And on it was, the, was this cover. It talked about the refugees in Syria. And I save it. I still have it in and I knew the Lord was just saying, you know, you need to read about this. You need to be aware of this. And <coughs> excuse me. And I wondered, well, what for? And uh, and I and I shelved it. And I still got it at home. Well, this this week I had to go to a deal, and as part of this group, I uh, getting prepared for our leadership summit in August, which I encourage you all to buy a ticket to. I'll talk to you about that later. But one of the speakers there, his name is Richard Stearns. He's the president of World Vision, an incredible Christian group 
uh, I think they have like 140,000 employees or 14,000, I can't remember. But I mean, they're, they're kind of like the Christian Red Cross and, and they, they go to all of these trouble spots and they, and they help whenever there's a, a calamity or a catastrophe or if there's just something going on. And it's, a, it's an incredible missions and missional endeavor. And he's speaking at this thing that I'm at, just kind of sharing a little bit of his vision, the world vision. He's talking about these refugees, these Syrian refugees and, and their encampment. And, and, and I'm just feeling awful now. Not only is he wrecking me with what he's telling me, and the Lord said, see, see, you know, you should have, should have been on top of this and read about it and all of that. And, uh, and so Trina and I were leaving and, and we're talking about it and we're both kind of wrecked and that was mid-morning. So we have this big dinner with everybody on that night and it's at round tables like this and there's a couple of seats to my left. Guess who comes and sits down next to me? Richard Stearns. Now he's pretty big, he's a big dog and Christian, a big man, I mean, incredibly gifted, wonderful, gracious people-loving, God-honoring man. So he sits down next to me, and I go, oh, boy, hi, Richard, <laughs> you know? And, and so it's kind of like the Lord just saying, you know, if you're not going to do it on your own, then I'm going to bring it to you. <laughs> and so for the next hour, I got this wonderful tutorial by this gracious, godly man, and we were able to change our um, information, and I'm going to be in contact with him. I, oh, I forgot to tell, I forgot this, but remember I've told you about my atheist friend that comes here? who's kind of moved now toward agnostic. Well, uh, two months ago, for Christmas, you know what he gives me? He gives me a book. It's called A Hole in the Gospel by guess who? Richard Stearns, yeah. And, uh, and I got to tell Richard this whole story about this because he said the reason I come here, the reason I've continued coming here for the last year, even though I don't believe yet, but I'm kind of moving toward it, um, is, is because uh, you do, Creekside does a lot of the things in this book. And see, when people see expressions of the life of Jesus like they see in the Bible, it moves them. See, God's word is correct to me. If, you, if you're reading again in the, in, in, the, in the reading passages, you'll see in Mark chapter 7, in our Bible reading plan, I was challenged by the words of Mark 7 where it talks about tradition, traditions, and rituals. Jesus is just, he's just nuking these Pharisees because they had all the head, but it become rituals and traditions. And Jesus challenges him at that level. And then, he, and then he says this. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. I can get so caught up in the traditions and the rituals, and I can begin to have my heart move farther from you. See, that's how the word corrects us. It challenges us. God's word does that. Next thing is God's word equips us. I got to finish with this. God's word equips us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. It says that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you would like to be thoroughly equipped for good works? I do. I want to ongoingly, I want to grow. Everywhere I go, I want there to be good things that follow behind me and go before me. Not for my glory, but for God's glory. Where they say, you know something? There's something of goodness that takes place in this life. The more I read this, you know what I find out? 
the better husband and father I am. For some of you, it's the better mother and wife that you are. You, be a, you can be a better worker and leader on your job. You can be a better friend, more forgiving, less critical. You can be less selfish and more generous with your money and your things and your time. When you're in this word, it equips you to be a better listener. Everything isn't about you. Everything isn't about your desires. It isn't about my desires. It isn't about my needs. It's about the people around me. The more you're in here, the more patient you become, the more honest you'll be in every one of your dealings, in your conversations. The more you're in this book, it equips you to know the right thing to do in most situations and gives you the power to do it. See, there's a lot of you in here that have jobs where you have to go through ongoing training each year. And you have to be either recertified or they send you to classes so that you can grow in it. You know what? I want my doctor to hit every one of those classes and recertifications. Because when he gives me meds or he gives me some kind of prescription or he gives me some kind of treatment, I want to know he's up to date and top of the class. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying here. If you want to be at the top of your class, if you want to be prepared and equipped for every good work, you'll be a person of the word. I want that. Would you just quietly stand with me? The last one is this. It's just if you'd bow your heads. God's word protects us. When you face something in your life, a sickness, I want to go to the scriptures and be able to say, this is the God who heals me. I want to be able to read about Jesus healing people because I know he can heal me. When I'm tempted with sexual temptation, I want to be able to go to the scriptures and say, you know, this is what God says, that whoever belongs, that I can deal with my earthly nature and I can deal with sexual immorality and purity and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, and I can say no. When I'm faced with pride, I want to be able to say what Peter said, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When I get mad, I'm, I can call on Proverbs 15.1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. When I know I need to change, I can go to 2 Corinthians 3.15.17 where it says, but we all with unveiling face, but we all with unveiled face beholding it is in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory, from experience to experience. And his word protects me. I want to be a people that's a people of the word. Not so we become Pharisees filled with knowledge, but because we become Christ followers that are filled with Jesus. And everywhere we go, everything we do, we look more like him every day in every way. And if you're here today, I just want to challenge you as you go. Step into the word. 